You're listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode is brought to you by AFIA, a symmetry company, and symmetry consulting services. Partner with the data experts that understand the challenges and anxieties in your home health, hospice, or behavioral health organization. Today's episode is hosted by Kathy Pulaski-Detling, Vice President of Clinical Strategies at AFIA, a symmetry company, and Melissa Gordon, Senior Manager at Symmetry. Join these experts to learn the three ways to prioritize safety for community-based workforce on the front lines. My name is Kathy Detling, and I'm a master's level clinical psychologist and work as a clinical strategies consultant with Symmetry. And prior to becoming a consultant, I spent 26 years working in the community behavioral health centers, providing office, home, and community-based services. And I'd like to also introduce my colleague, Melissa Gordon. Melissa. Hello, everyone. I'm Melissa Gordon, registered nurse. I'm on the clinical operations team at Symmetry Healthcare Consulting. I've been in the home health hospice and private duty industry for almost two decades now. Everything from field clinician to quality to running agencies across multiple states. And I'm happy to join my colleague, Kathy, today on this very important subject. So this podcast that we're providing will talk about strategies to address those unique safety challenges faced by our community-based workforce that are providing the supports and services for high-risk individuals or all that may happen when visiting an individual's home. Primarily, this is so important because we're finding that community-based workforce is really expanding, especially over the past decade. We have a variety of programs, agencies, and roles that are supported by community-based workforce, including home health, hospice, supports and services for individuals with serious mental illness or developmental disabilities, people with substance use. It's really encompassing a whole range of illness support and recovery support services across across the healthcare continuum. So Kathy, as we get into our topic and we look at the unique safety challenges of our community-based workforce, there are some key highlights that we want to talk about. The first is the importance of the risk assessment and identifying potential safety hazards. So tell us a little bit about those key details when we're assessing risk. I think the one key area to focus on when assessing risk is really to have that understanding of even though the services that are provided by community-based workers are very much needed and can be done in a very respectful, personalized manner, the services that are being provided may not be welcomed. And so developing empathy and predicting when there's going to be good days and rough days is really key. So, you know, kind of having that understanding that if individuals and families had a choice, they wouldn't choose to be managing an illness or they wouldn't choose to live with a chronic condition. So as part of that, what appears to be anger or potentially violent rhetoric can often be that expression of total frustration and that inability to control their pain or their environment. Yeah, a good example is, you know, I... In the past, working with an individual who may have abruptly or gradually lost their ability to independently walk, shower, use the restroom, you know, and while in a, you know, while doing the recovery in a facility based in a facility, it may have been a huge recovery moment when they were able to be discharged to their home. But once the individual, you know, discharges to the home and the realization that this may be a new normal is happening, it can be a really tremendous adjustment. 
So that frustration about not being able to record, re, um, you know, to control the recovery time. And oftentimes the, the home-based workforce is that person that is right there in the front lines and may be the, the direct target of some of that anger and frustration. So understanding that this frustration may be constant or sporadic or spontaneous, um, it may be part of the job and it may be an anticipated risk. So having that expectation that there's going to be frustration and being able to roll with it, while also keeping in mind that these moments may feel very risky to the staff. And so having that risk identified and creating a plan to address it and to begin to recognize patterns of where these constant or sporadic types of flare-ups are happening is really, really important. In one home-based uh, uh, episode of care, we recognized early on that this particular individual who was older had great difficulty if a person who was younger was providing personal care services to them. And that discomfort that this person was feeling really resulted in, as part of the risk assessment, really resulted in really trying to make a change in the plan for that particular person. So understanding that as part of that risk assessment is ongoing, and it really needs to address all of those constant or sporadic moments that a person may have is, you know, is really key. Just to tail off of that, when you're looking at your risk assessment, is there a certain focal point that you kind of shift to? Initially on a lot, the risk indicators we look at are maybe environmental or anything like that. But the but really what happens when there are these sporadic moments or constant moments, you know, they may not become evident until you've been working with the person for a while or the team has been working for, with a person for a while. And the risk that was identified in a facility may be very different when the person comes home. So understanding that, you know, you may have risk assessment ongoing as part of the process is a real key. I think another key is to have that understanding that the individual served may not be the focal point of a risk assessment. You know, it's important to assess the family and friends and support system of those who want to be supportive, who then in turn may be frustrated or confused or at times, you know, kind of sometimes unhelpful or a barrier to the person receiving care. So, you know, there may be people that come into the person's life during the midst of treatment also who may not have an understanding of the gravity of the person's needs. So there may be some people that will take advantage of it. So as a helping profession, you know, having a good risk assessment that identifies who is a part of the person's life and also updating it to see if new people coming in may be adding to that risk factor. I think another key point is with community-based work, you cannot control who's in the environment. So a person may be residing in a shared housing situation where roommates may be coming and going or family members may be moving in and out. And there's no, and so all of that constitutes a possible risk that needs to be explored. When we're working in the individual's home, there's no way to vet every person that may be coming and going in a person's home environment. And so that pre-assessment planning where all those external risks are identified prior to starting service is really an important strategy. And because there's others in the home, having those expectations for like cleanliness or privacy and safety in the physical structure really needs to be a part of your planning. 
a person, you know, who is leaving the facility to be cared for in a relative's house may be subject to whatever home standards are set up by that relative. So that risk assessment planning and some expectation setting ahead of time, like having privacy for services or having the home be safe from leaks from the roof, making sure there's adequate sleeping arrangements, all those can be considered as part of the risk assessment and then subsequent safety protocol. Yeah, those are all very good points. And so from what you've mentioned so far, what are some of the safety protocols that you should know before you start services and before you go and see your clients and patients? I think there's some general safety protocols, but just as everybody's plan of care is individualized, the safety protocol must be individualized and really needs to cover those expected or sporadic or spontaneous bouts of frustration. One of the tools that we used in behavioral health was a document that we called what to put in place in case a crisis happens. And on that tool with the, with the individual and their family ahead of time so that we could enact safety protocols. And so there would be an understanding that if we were in the home, that the family would agree that this person could have an expectation of privacy during treatment. So we made that agreement ahead of time. So when, you know, when we arrived at home, there was a lot of people there, we would have, you know, selected individuals say, okay, time for everybody to leave because, because, you know, there's something to have. And so having that protocol set up ahead of time can really be helpful. Also having as part of that protocol, ensuring that the individual or family lets the provider know when somebody new is entering in the, in, into the environment or you know, providing some support or moving into the home, just so that we can identify ahead of time that as part of our safety protocol, we just want to know who's going to be there when we come into the home. You know, so anticipating the changes, any changes and setting expectations for addressing care will really help dilute the impact of that change on the plan. Yeah, some really good, important tips. So if I could just summarize the, the key strategies First, we want to make sure that we're creating an understanding of each situation that requires empathy so that as no one chooses or any health condition, we're focusing on the client and the patient, no matter what they have, you are there as a community-based service uh, provider to help them, although it can be very, very frustrating at times. I think we've all experienced those situations, but that empathy is key. Second, to do the risk assessment and have your safety protocol planning in place, again, prior to seeing the client or the patient. This is an opportunity to address the known risks and have the potential areas in place to really look at the individual, look at who they're living with. You talked a little bit about the environmental factors. Very important. And then when you're creating those protocols, Include the direction from that individual, patient, family, caregivers, support team to possibly diminish or make sure that you don't have a possible crisis and generate that discussion. So if that crisis happens, you're already there and you're present, but you have your safety in place. You have done your risk assessments and you've done it with empathy and kindness. Yeah, I think the empathy and kindness is always, always first and foremost. And, and that's kind of a key characteristic of people who are working in the community-based workforce. So it's something that we recognize 
it's something that we celebrate, but it's also something that we want to protect too. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kathy. And thank you to our listeners. 